This is The Power Profile, stories of world-class leadership, hosted by award-winning broadcast journalist and media entrepreneur, Christina Mendonza. Get ready to connect with those defining success. This is The Power Profile, where we look at power in all forms of our personal and professional lives. We talk to people who've leveraged power in their own lives, and today a woman who has spent much of her adult life at the intersection of politics and business. She has more than two decades of leadership in public affairs. She's worked for presidents and governors on policy. She's had executive leadership positions in Congress and trade associations. She's helped to manage crises, find consensus, and track political trends. She is also an author and speaker. Her latest book is called Pull Up Your Chair which is also the name of her podcast. You're really going to enjoy my conversation with Cicely Simpson. The Power Profile is my new podcast. I've recently retired a fresh agenda. I've started The Power Profile because I see in society how people are reclaiming their power after the pandemic. You know, there is this saying that uh, rock stars always want to be in movies and actors always want to be rock stars. You see it over and over again. Well, the same goes for business and politics. So many of our business leaders have become intoxicated with political involvement. And politicians globally love having powerful business leaders on their speed dial. They are alike in some ways, but motivated very differently, which is one of the things that Cicely and I talk about. I also love to geek out on professional development, and so does she. You are also very familiar with one of Cicely's major career efforts. You see it every time you go into a restaurant anywhere in the country. Cicely Simpson joins me now. Thank you so much for making the time today. Oh, Christina, thank you for the opportunity to join you. I I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So I have to start with this question. It has to do with your time with the Restaurant Association and something that all of us know you for, even if we've not met you. (laughs) And that has to do with the calorie counts and nutritional information on menus. It's like it's this way you have pretty much touched everyone's life. Tell me about your time with the Restaurant Association and how that policy came to be. Yeah, sure. And uh, I'm glad no one can throw tomatoes at me right now <laughs> for, for knowing that I'm responsible for the calories uh, on, their, on their menu items. But that was a 10-year effort, uh, Christina, that actually started in 2008 when I worked at uh, Dunkin' Donuts and Baskin-Robbins restaurants. And uh, you're in California, so you all may remember the um, craziness that was happening at the state and local level in California, but also in Philadelphia, Chicago, New York, and certainly across the country when it came to listing calories on the menu. So the state and local activity that really gave rise to the national law was, can we go to Congress and seek regulation? And as as anybody on the business side knows who's listening to this, (laughs) going to Congress and asking for regulation is something business traditionally does not do. Mm -hmm. But because we were facing so many different um laws across the country we felt like we didn't have a choice so starting in 08 you know the industry rallied around this idea of seeking a national standard uh, for calorie labeling on menus and believe it or not it started in 08 and then went through the obama administration never got done Uh, we went through multiple craziness in terms of trying to get it finalized when president trump came in he thought it was an onerous burden on businesses. He tried to undo it. And then we finally convinced his administration that no, 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 businesses actually need certainty. So yes, when people see the uh, calories, when, you're, when your listeners see the calories on menus, 
please know that was a 10-year effort that finally got over the finish line. But honestly, Christina, the, the really the drive behind that was consumers deserve the same information, whether you're in California or Nashville or New York or Philly. And so providing consumers that information all over the country, in addition to the business certainty, was an experience I had never had since, but it was an amazing, <laughs> it was an amazing journey to go through. I tell you what, I, I learned a lot and uh and uh, it was an amazing experience to go through, even though folks don't know who was actually behind it. Right, right. Well, now we do. And uh, yeah, it's fascinating. And it's interesting. For I, I used to wonder more when I'd look at those is how do they fit 800 calories into a salad? How How is that even done? <laughs> uh, yes, I learned more about how to calculate nutrition than I ever thought I would in my entire life. So you and me both, you have the same question. <laughs> you know, you had over 20 years uh, walking that line between business and politics. I mean, you just described it there, uh, trying to build this bridge between business and, and politics. What were the some of the more interesting differences in political leaders when you look at political leaders versus business leaders? What were the interesting differences? You know, I would probably first and foremost go back to that certainty. Obviously, business is constantly looking for certainty in terms of how to plan. Um, lawmakers, political lawmakers do not understand uh, that philosophy. They very much are in a day-to-day crisis-to-crisis um, sort of mode in terms of how they govern, whereas business leaders are going saying, look, if you're going to regulate it, just tell us so we can plan for it. So. The big, one of the biggest differences between them as leaders is their leadership styles and how they view leadership in terms of a long-term visionary piece of the equation or is it day-to-day episodic uh, in terms of their leadership and very much leadership approaches. I think CEOs tend to bring uh, a focus to their leadership style, to the business they're managing. Lawmakers tend to come at this from a very ideological point of view. And one thing I always coach CEOs on and C-suites on, Christina, is Leave your political ideology at home. This is about business, and this is about running your business and what's best for your business, whereas lawmakers come at this from the exact um, ideology point of view that we ask them not to. So it's a very different governing style, but it's also different philosophies in how you govern as well. Do you think that's why so many CEOs struggle well, I guess some do, some don't struggle with kind of uh, different uh, and changing political environments in which they are called upon either by their employees or by what they perceive as pressure from the public to take a stand on political issues. 100%. And I think actually that pressure has increased over the last three to five years in terms of the CEO sort of being the new politician. Um, that that pressure has increased, I think, as a result of not only what's going on uh, around the country from the societal point of view, but I think also Wall Street and investor expectations is, hey, if this is going to impact your business, you need to get involved, even though that is not the bailiwick of most CEOs um, who are who are there to run a business, not be a politician. So it's very much a pressure that is ever pervasive now that didn't exist just a couple of years ago. Do you find it is a generational difference? I mean, perhaps younger CEOs are more willing to take a stand on issues than older CEOs, or that doesn't really matter. It just depends on the person's singular personality and their inclination for uh, stepping into politics. It's a great question. I don't think it's generational. Uh, I think it truly is. How do they view Uh, I don't want to say the game of politics. That sounds incredibly cynical. But how do they view uh, politics in general? Probably more informs their personal view. But but one thing they all have in common or most, Christina, 
once they get to D.C. and they do a few meetings with lawmakers, they get the bug and then they're like, well, we want to go back. When can we come back? Well, we want to do more meetings and who can we talk to? And so once they actually sort of dip their toe in the water of engaging in in the political arena on behalf of their business, they tend to really enjoy sort of the limelight of being, you know, being on the spot in a senator's office or in the White House. And they tend to want more uh, of that. And so once they engage, their posture generally changes than before they ever engage. Wow. That reminds me of how they say actors always want to be musicians and musicians always (laughs) want to be actors. (laughs) Very true. Very true. Wow. Tell me about some of your uh, more interesting days on Capitol Hill. I mean, there is a mystique for those of us who are not inside the Beltway or have been watching it like I have as a journalist over the years. I mean, what were some of the more um, interesting things you found in trying to to get things done uh, within Congress. Sure, and I was in Congress um, in the you know early 2000s. So I would tell you, I just had this conversation with somebody the other day, and the environment that exists there now is not the environment that existed when I was there. And so watching that evolution over the past 20 years uh, has been you know interesting, but also is a very different dynamic. So when I was on the Hill, I worked for two. Blue Dog Democrats, so Southern Democrats, which is kind of a uh, endangered species these days. Um, but we very much were a group of 51 members who really had the political sway. Democrats wanted our votes, Republicans wanted our votes. So we were sort of that middle, moderate middle that is ever missing now and that is constantly uh, sort of, you know, giving way to them, to both sides. So what I experienced was a, a bipartisan uh, atmosphere. I've told people I worked well with the Bush administration. I worked well with uh, our team, worked well with the Obama administration, worked well with the Trump administration, now with the Biden administration. So the bipartisan nature of what I experienced in the early 2000s has really carried me through my career, but it's harder now than what it was um, when we were there. And I will also tell you, um, being on the Hill during the Iraq war and the Afghanistan war, probably my first big leadership lesson uh, came from that. There's nothing like having a military uniformed officer walk in your office and tell you that you're probably going to be bombed as a result of what of our of our assault in Afghanistan and, you know, call your parents in case you don't come home. And as a 25 year old, I thought, whoa, 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 I don't think I signed up for this. Like I, you know, I I knew 9-11 had happened, obviously knew what was going on in terms of our our ability to go after Osama bin Laden. But when you're sitting with a bunch of 20-somethings in a congressional office and you're told they're going to retaliate and the U.S. Capitol will be a target and you may not make it out alive, that was a very stark moment for me as I had just stepped into a leadership role in the congressional office. And I was leading four or five other people, but we had to break the news to our staff um, and break the news to our parents. So a lot of lessons learned, leadership lessons on Capitol Hill, but the Capitol Hill that I knew, unfortunately, no longer exists anymore. Yeah, it seems, it does seem much different. different. And, um, you know, I don't know if that's uh, for the good or not, but I mean, it just it seems within both parties, there are fractures sure. and, and, uh, and things that those parties are going to have to figure out. Um, how do you um, do you see some of the lessons that you learned in the political realm of your life 
applying to leadership in the business world? I mean, we've talked about how it's kind of two very different personalities, um, but do you find that there are uh, leadership elements that, are, you know, cross-pollinate? Absolutely. Uh, and as a matter of fact, there's four or five that I usually point to uh, that I think cross-pollinate well. Um, I, my, my new book about those five come out uh, comes out in later in March on the 22nd. But if you just real quick, I'll run through them if you don't mind. Please, please um, do. I, I, think, um, I think the first uh, leadership strategy that really carries over well is how do you champion yourself? You can also say, how, do you, how are you your own best cheerleader? How do you advocate for yourself? Uh, something that regardless of where you are in your career, regardless of what industry, how you show up for yourself and what I call self-leadership, I think is absolutely universal regardless of the business or politics or whatever arena you find yourself in. The second one is, is what I call self-honesty. Um, what I learned in business and politics, but mostly in business, Christina, is you can be the best leader in the world, but if you land on people the wrong way, so how are you perceived? That perception can very much bolster your success or it can, it can undermine you. So you can be your own worst enemy and not know it. So there's a sort of self-reflective piece of leadership that I learned in the business and corporate world that, um, that I think very much translate. Third is adaptability. It is the one core competency that everyone is judged on, but nobody tells you. So if there's a crisis in the business and you don't you don't adapt well and you don't you know handle the situation well, you're absolutely judged on that. But no one's ever going to tell you that adaptability is something that you need to have to be successful in today's corporate environment. The fourth is impact. Um, we all want to be impactful leaders, but how you actually have impact that goes well beyond just a temporary influence to actually engaging and having impact is huge. And then last one I'll just mention is. Uh, regrets, which is opportunities come every day in business and politics, no matter where you are. And those opportunities are never packaged the way you think, but the opportunities nevertheless present themselves. So do you take advantage of them or do you wish you had and are there sort of a little bit of a look back regret piece of that equation? So those are the five that I actually have learned in politics that I've carried in a business and have perfected over the last 20 years that I now um, help teach and coach others on. Wow. I, you know, I'm especially intrigued by the self-management um, one because um, I, I feel like uh, we are taught how to manage up, um, how to yeah. manage down, but not to manage self. Absolutely. And oh my gosh, you and I could spend a whole conversation on just on just that one point, because you're right, you're supposed to manage up, manage down, and manage across very effectively. But no one ever talks about self-leadership and where you fit into that management piece. And so I ask people, um, you know, I'll ask the question, where are you on your to-do list? And I get dead silence. Hmm. And then I get the, well, what do you mean? Well, where is the self-leadership piece? Like, where are you? Are you working on yourself? And it absolutely throws people for a loop because they've never been taught to advocate for their self and think about their own self-leadership. It's always leadership of others, not leadership of self. Wow. Well, I can imagine that maybe something, as you just said, a lot of leaders struggle with. As you coach some of these high-level leaders, what are some of the other things that they're struggling with? Is it life after the pandemic? Is it, uh, you know, is that just one of a, a whole list of things they struggle with? The pandemic has been absolutely a constant theme over the past year and a half. How do you show up during the pandemic? How do you show up now that there's sort of a hybrid moment of remote and going back into the office? 
Um, leaders right now are very much struggling with a great resignation. A lot of people are leaving their jobs either to find something else, to stay at home, to maybe switch industries. And so how do you embrace an actual conversation with your employees about the environment that they're in very much has been a struggle for a lot of people. But also for those who are looking for a career advancement right now, they're like, okay, is this an opportunity for me? Mm. So how do I now use this time or coming back into the office or sort of using as a reset? How do I now take advantage of that for my own career growth? So it's across the board, but very much driven by the pandemic has sort of reset the table. Now, what's your place at that table and what does it look like? Yes. I mean, especially when it comes to culture building. I mean, it's so hard to have a good company culture when you have people working from home all the time and, and in a remote or at least or restarting that company culture when people come back into an office. And that is like, I mean, that's one of the things people come to work for. One of the things they enjoy about work is their the culture of their environment. You're, you're right. And there's several people that I'm coaching right now who never met their colleagues in person. Mm. It's they were hired on Zoom. They've only ever interacted on Zoom. And so they truly are lost about what kind of culture am I stepping into because I haven't been in it yet. And how is that post-pandemic workplace, is it going to be different than what I've experienced? And the answer is yes, because they haven't been in it yet. So the culture question is very much prominent on the employee's mind as well as the employer's, but particularly on employees who are stepping in to a different culture than they're used to. You've had the opportunity to see so many different leaders in action. And now, you know, as, as you're coaching a lot of these leaders, is there someone that comes to mind either from the world of business or politics that is the most skilled leader that you've worked with? Interesting. That is not a question I get asked often. <laughs> I, yes, there is a leader. Absolutely. Um, putting sort of the politician piece aside for a second. Yes. The, um, the CEO of Duncan Brands, parent company of Duncan Donuts and Baskin Robbins restaurants. He is not someone I've coached, but he's someone who's very much informed my coaching and leadership style. Uh, he was a big influence in terms of someone who really helped shape my views and my attitude. He very much made a way for me in corporate America when I was very new and very young and had no idea what I was doing. So I would say he comes to mind first for someone that I've coached, actually. Uh, yes, there is a CEO that comes to mind who has sought my help and just being a more impactful leader. Um, are they leading the right way? Are they doing the right things? If they don't feel fulfilled, how do they know how, do, how are they showing up um, for their employees when they don't feel like they're having the impact they should as a leader? And I get that from a lot of C-suite folks. I'm here. How did I get here? Is it imposter syndrome? Okay, now that I'm here, what do I do? Okay, I've been here for a while. I'm not having an impact. So it really runs the game in terms of those I coach. But for those who've informed my leadership style, very much comes from a, a previous CEO I worked for. Wow. Well, I mean, we've talked a lot about the, the the things you've seen and the people you've met and the um, the lessons that you're passing on to others. Um, you know, what what about yourself? What in your life right now is making you feel your power or making you feel um, most fulfilled? First of all, the coaching honestly came out of nowhere for me. I got a couple of calls um, actually probably about a year or two ago asking me to coach CEOs, and I thought. 
where in the world is this coming from? Why would someone think I'd want to coach CEOs? And they all found me on LinkedIn and, and reached out to me. And so now fast forward two years later, the coaching very much has been um, coaching people of all, of all, in all areas of their career has been a blast and very fulfilling, but I also am a business owner. So I took a plunge into the world of entrepreneurship four years ago, starting my own lobbying and communications firm in DC, uh, and being, uh, an entrepreneur now and, uh, really sort of putting my own leadership lessons to the test. So think about it, Christina, I represent fortune 500 companies. I represent state and local governments. I represent some small business owners. And every day I have to do what I preach, which is advocate my value. What do I bring to the table? Why should people hire me? Uh, how can I help add, you know, help their bottom line or their business? What leadership can I bring to them that they currently don't have that they need? I find myself learning those lessons often and sort of putting my own uh, my own advice into practice in just my everyday uh, business, you know, uh, world as well. So I, I'm so fulfilled by both of those roles, both the coaching and being an entrepreneur. And I, I there's a lot of synergies between both in terms of how I apply the leadership lessons that uh, that I teach others. Oh yeah, it's such a it's such a your your business in 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 addition to doing the good work that you do, it's a lab, it's a laboratory. I'm sure for a lot of your uh, hypotheses and and theories about leadership and things that you've seen and places to test it. Absolutely. And I feel like I've done a the 25 plus year trial and error run of if it didn't work, try again or try another way. And so, yes, even now, you know, now having think, I, you know, you perfected your or I thought I perfected my leadership style, but I'm constantly, constantly learning new things that I can now help my clients with. But it becomes a win win um, all the way around. But uh, yes, being an, a, you know, people say to me, usually career coach, and they think of an employee or someone in a big company. But if you think about it, an entrepreneur has to absolutely show up every day with their A game. What value do they offer? How are they having an impact? What are they doing on behalf of their clients or their customers? It very much becomes an everyday exercise for me to put my own theories to the test. Right, right. Well, I don't know if if you're like me. I, I, I always say to people, I don't really have a lot of hobbies because I love my work. <laughs> I love what I do. But um, I do ask this of all of my guests and I'll ask you now, is there something you do, a, a hobby or a habit or a ritual or whatever that helps you stay creative? Like when you feel kind of depleted by everything that you are putting out for others, what do you do to kind of recharge yourself? Okay, this may not be the traditional answer that you get, but I am a sports fanatic. Um, so for me to just sort of sit and recharge or sort of, you know, get my uh, get my head in the right space, it's me watching football. It's me traveling to tennis tournaments. It is volleyball, basketball, all of the above. I am such a sports fanatic that I actually find great sort of rest and refuge uh, and, and, you know, tuning out of the political world and the business world and going into sports. So honestly, for me, I could talk stats all day long about an NFL player <laughs> or about a team, right? I, I, that's, that's sort of my thing. And people were like, really? Like, that's what you do? And I'm like, yeah, like that's, that's always kind of been my thing. I was raised in a very athletic and sports oriented family. So for me, checking out means just, you know, I watch more ESPN than I do CNN. Oh, wow. Okay. That's real. That's a good one. I like that one. And who's your, who's your team? Who's your NFL team? 
Tennessee Titans. Oh, yeah, got to go with the home, you know, the home, the hometown team. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, Cicely, how do people get in touch with you? If they, I know you have a book coming out uh, in late March. You have a podcast. Um, what is the best way to connect with you? Yeah, the best way, uh, thank you for asking, is on my website. It's CicelySimpson.com. If you don't know how to spell Cicely, it's C-I-C-E-L-Y. But look, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on all the social channels. Folks can find me in a number of places. Right. And I encourage your listeners to do so. I, I get so many inquiries through Facebook Messenger and LinkedIn Messenger. And I love meeting new people and hearing about their stories and their career journeys. So I encourage anyone who's thinking about reaching out, please do. I'd love to talk to you. Okay, excellent. And your, and your book that's coming out, what, what do we look for? Uh, it's on Amazon now, and it's also on Barnes & Noble. It is called Pull Up Your Chair, Five Strategies That Will Change the Trajectory of Your Career. So not unlike what we've been talking about here, what's the you know, what do you bring to the table? Let's pull up your chair and talk about the value you have to offer and what makes you different from others. So it's very much about the five strategies that we talked about, but a lot about self-leadership as well. So it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. You can literally Google it by name. And uh, yeah, I'm so pumped about this book. Also a little nervous, but uh, but pumped about this. It's been a great opportunity to really just sort of put things on paper and share this with others. Oh, well, I've loved this conversation. I will be first in line for it. I love product. Anything that can help me with my productivity and have some insight into how I do things and how I might do them better is just that's gold. That's gold. Yeah, likewise, likewise. I I, I totally I totally geek out. Yep. On uh, <laughs> on all things productivity and leadership. So I hope I hope I'm sure hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much, Cicely Simpson. I appreciate your time. Thank you for sharing all of this knowledge with us. We appreciate it. Great. Thank you, Christina. Have a great day. I hope you enjoy the conversation with Cicely Simpson. Her book, Pull Up Your Chair, Five Strategies to Change the Trajectory of Your Career is out now. You can check out her podcast as well and her other works at CicelySimpson.com. And as she said, she is all over the socials, so you can definitely reach out to her that way. Please subscribe and follow The Power Profile for more good interviews like this one. You can also find me on all the socials. I'm most active on Instagram, where I post Motivational Monday strategies. You can also go to my website, MendonzaMedia.com, and subscribe to my newsletter and reach out for your own business needs. I'm launching a product based on this podcast called The Power Profile. It is the video version, a mini documentary on world-class thought leaders like Cicely Simpson or like you. We'll go through a series of interviews that cover your retrospective story and accomplishments. We'll uncover the personalized story behind your success. I will craft a narrative to connect the dots between your experiences and accomplishments. And you'll discover what makes you stand out within your own industry and what inflection points in your life have been perfectly applied to your own profession. Your power profile is a perfect opportunity for internal communication, video releases, website editions, client education, and for working with potential investors. So reach out if that interests you. In the meantime, be on the lookout for more stories of power right here on the podcast version of The Power Profile. I'm Christina Mendonca. Stay powerful. This has been The Power Profile with Christina Mendonca. Stay connected through MendonzaMedia.com.